Welcome back to the Carolina Chronicles podcast. Joining us today, we have someone that mom has been friends with for probably far longer than either of them cared to admit. For years, Danielle Reed has been researching some of the lesser known figures in history, and she's recently been getting into a lot of the notes and the uh, surrounding documentation around the formation of of our U.S. Constitution. And I'm sure that's something that will become that she'll be coming back to talk about later. But today, she and mom are discussing the beginnings of the Supreme Court, which ordinarily sounds like it would probably be pretty dry. But of course, South Carolina can't keep its mitts off of anything. So with that said, I'll let them tell the story. All right. I have got today. Um. A friend of mine who's an author, a writer, um, she's done a, an op-ed piece for 11 years. Uh, it's currently called One Nation Under God. She's been a member of a newspaper editorial staff and actually hosted a, a talk show. Uh, Danielle Reed from the backwaters of Virginia, not the Beltway. Um, good morning. Good morning, Ann. So good to be with you today. <laughs> The, you have animals on your farm, and um, I do too. You have a few more than I've had, though. Your your farm's a little bit bigger than mine. Mine's a play farm, <laughs> so there there's a little bit of commonality there. Uh, but it's good to have you. Um, I'm particularly interested in what you have to say about the Supreme Court. There's a lot of talk in the news now about the Supreme Court. There are there are currently nine members. But in the beginning, I believe there were only six. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Ah, okay. Well, let's kind of let's kind of dive into that here. Uh, I think it all started in New York City. <laughs> it did because that's where the nation's capital was at the time. Ah, well, New York's legal. You know, the funny thing, the irony about that is it it was the nation's. Uh, unofficial capital. That's where all the Congresses were meeting. However, the legal profession, because you know they're they're just always our favorites. There, the legal profession had no time for politics. Can you even fathom that? <laughs> must have been I mean, a wonderful time. I cannot wrap my head around that. They had no time for politics. The only interest they had in the laws of England, because we were still a colony at that point, was in discovering how to take advantage of them. So it never seemed to occur to them that they could command, control, or rewrite those laws. It has occurred to them now. But back then, it just was not part of their worldview. So to make the, But to make the legal profession exclusive, uh, they declared that, that the profession was overcrowded because, I mean, after all, they had 32 men practicing law. Um, so they wanted to impede the lower classes from crowding in. And they came up with this idea that if they opposed a two, uh, imposed a 200-pound fee, which roughly English dollars, um, from any man who was aspiring to clerk, because that's how you started out in law, was to clerk, um, that that could pretty much knock most everybody out because the economy in New York was really bad. The Dutch had left, and, and money was precious. So in the previous year, only one person, only one person had been able to come up with that fee. 
and it was 20-year-old John Jay. Now, Jay was actually a Huguenot, but because of his accent, everybody started labeling him a Frenchman. Now, I think that that was not flattering to be labeled a Frenchman at that point, right? Well, that's probably true. Um, There were a lot of diplomatic uh, things going on um, between America and France, and of course, we had the French and Indian War, and you know, all sorts of um, things going on like that. And I remember uh, reading somewhere that um, when Thomas Jefferson and John Adams were vying for um, presidency, uh, one of the insults that uh, Thomas Jefferson threw at John Adams was that he wore French silk underwear, and he was not qualified to be president because of that. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> That's a riot. <laughs> yeah, there are some, there's some so many interesting things about history, and unfortunately, um, our schools don't teach a lot of the American history. And when they teach it, all they want you to know is dates. They don't understand the background. Dry facts are not on. fun, even for somebody who loves history. Dry facts are not fun, but sure. the French silk underwear—that's that's fun. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, let's skip forward to April 30th, 1789. George Washington had become the first president of the United States, and he began to make appointments to his first cabinet. Well, all summer, the question on everybody's mind was, what are you going to do about the Supreme Court? Well, his answer every time was, since this was the most important office, he considered the Supreme Court, the judicial the most important um, office. So he would tell them that he was just going to wait. He was going to wait. He was weighing the candidates more heavily. And he had a drawer in his office on uh, Cherry Street where he he marked it Supreme Court. Well, he kind of abbreviated it, but but he had marked it Supreme Court, and he just tossed in notes about different candidates that he was considering. And frequently, when he had callers, he'd pull all these notes out and spread them on his desk in front of them and ask for opinions. Well, that's kind of hard to wrap your head around. Um, can you imagine the president sitting in his office and you just kind of drop in, and so he pulls out things like that and goes, well, what do you think? What do you think? Um for one thing, you could get into his office. You just, whether you were the, the the French ambassador, you could just knock on his door. You probably had an appointment if you'd come that far, but you could just knock on the door and come into his office and talk to him. If you were a farmer from New Hampshire, you could go to New York, knock on his door, and go in and talk to him. And so it was a much different day. A much different day. But by uh, September, Washington had narrowed down the candidates for chief justice to three people. James Wilson, John Jay, and John Rutledge of South Carolina. Wilson was considered the most able lawyer, but they eliminated him first because there was a belief that the chief justice should not only be an outstanding lawyer, but he needed to hold um, some important administrative and, and legal background uh, work. He, he needed that in his resume. So 
the the interesting thing is that this idea was actually presented by Rutledge during the Constitutional Convention. Washington had been listening in, and he kind of embraced that thought pattern there. So the choice was now, and this gets a little more complicated, the choice was now between John Rutledge, who had just led the Constitutional Convention, and John Jay. Now, John Jay had never tried an important case in court. For 20 years, he'd held political positions, but only as an appointee. So his last position actually had, he had been elected. He was governor of New York. Um, At that point, New York was just then becoming known as the Empire State and the seat of the government. It was not the wealthiest, nor was it the most populated but it was coming to be known as the Empire State. So for those of you who are not from New York and don't know how it got that nickname, that's where it came from. Jay had been one of the seven men involved in writing the Constitution, um, and he, he was still currently sitting as the elected governor of New York. When Washington asked his vice president, John Adams, who wore the French silk underwear, which of the men that he would choose for chief justice, Adam replied, well, if ability is to decide, take Rutledge. But if politics, take Jay. So finally in October, Washington sent his nominations to the Senate where they were promptly ratified and John Jay became our first chief justice. John Rutledge sat on the court, but only he was our first associate justice. John Blair of Virginia, Daniel, you want to know that, was the fourth associate. Um, Washington had written Rutledge a note before the appointment, ensuring that Rutledge got the news before it went public. It was a matter of courtesy. And it stated, Your personal letter to me is so polite and considerate, I feel it would be, uh, uh, excuse me, Rutledge's reply was, your personal letter to me is so polite and considerate, I feel it would be ungracious to refuse. And the only other comment that we know of was, well, at least I have as much court experience as Jay, because John Jay had almost no court experience. So in 1791, something else happened. Um... John Rutledge finally resigned to accept the office of Chief Justice of the South Carolina Supreme Court. Now, Danielle, why would anybody leave the the United States Supreme Court and become the Chief Justice of a state Supreme Court? What could possibly influence that decision? (laughs) Closer to home. Less travel time, maybe. (laughs) But actually, uh, the Supreme Court was not really um, enamored that much. by the other two um, uh, branches of the government. And they, you know, some people thought the Supreme Court was the least influential. And they also had to do, they met twice a year, but then they also had to do circuit courts um, where they would ride the circuit, the judicial circuit. And they would be traveling probably almost all the time. Well, wow, you had how many colonies now? 13 original colonies? Correct. And six districts. And that horse in February is not going to have a defroster or windshield wipers. <laughs> That's right. Oh, That's my goodness. Right, yeah, and we forget about that because we have so many modern conveniences, you know, air conditioning and heating in our cars and jets and, you know, all, all um, 
inconveniences like that. But these guys didn't. And, you know, they may have gotten stranded in the snow or they may have gotten, had to drive through in the cart with the rainstorms and things like that. So it really was not a glamorous job. Or wrestle a bear for a place in the road. There was that, too. It, that was that was rigor. Can you imagine if our Supreme Court members, our judges, had to do that now? I'm not sure they could handle. I, I think they'd cancel court if the air conditioning went out. But yeah, I think they'd either resign or cancel court. You're right. There was a huge, huge yeah. price to pay for not that much esteem. Correct. Oh my yes, gosh. You're absolutely right. Yeah, but see, most of most of the people who were influential in the government were citizen statesmen. They wanted to serve the people of the United States and the government for the time that they were needed. And then they went home. Because they had... You know, went back to being real people with real jobs, real family members. Yeah. Oh, my. What a concept. (laughs) Do you know... Yeah. um, Still, knowing all this, even so... In 1795, John Jay resigned, and Rutledge was holding court when he got the message. He adjourned court, wrote a letter to Washington, and said that he was willing to accept the appointment to place uh, uh, to replace um, Jay. And he he took a person. Uh, he got a personal courier to deliver that message straight to Washington. Because, again, if you were waiting on the mail, that'd be six months. So none of this was easy, and it came at great expense. Yes, upon, right. upon receipt, Washington immediately makes out a commission and appoints Rutledge chief, second chief justice of the United States of America ad interim. Rutledge served four and a half months because it was going to require ratification of the Senate to make it permanent, which it would have done if something political had not come up in the meantime, and that's the story for another day. But the point is, John Jay was the first um, Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, and John Rutledge of South Carolina was the second Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. So there you go. You know, that is is so interesting, and I'm glad South Carolina had a, a part to play in. Virginians are are um, always talking about you know how they were the major players in um, writing the laws and, and things for the nation. But I know you have uncovered a lot of information about South Carolina and how integral it was in uh, founding documents. Oh, I could and, smack talk with Massachusetts right now regarding history. <laughs> 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 Have to. Yeah. <laughs> it could come to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we were talking about the Supreme Court. <clears throat> the the founders um, actually put together a government from from nothing. You know, they started over. Um, the United States of America, as a democratic republic, um, was the first of its kind. And so, uh, when they were talking about the court system, um, they had only a bare outline of the judicial branch that the Congress um, came up with. 
<clears throat> so the Judiciary Act of 1789 created 13 district courts, three circuit courts, and a six-member Supreme Court. And two justices were drawn from each circuit court. Well, it turns out that George Washington, as the first president, was responsible for appointing the entire Supreme Court. And um, he appointed um, a record 10 justices, including the two chief justices that were named. Oh, wow. But um, three weeks after the appointment, John Jay was sworn in as the chief justice of the court's initial session. Right. And the initial session was set for February 1st, 1790, at the Royal Exchange in New York City. And like you said, that was the first temporary capital for the country, the new country. Um, It's kind of interesting because that building was designed as an open-air market, but it had a second-floor meeting area, and the court shared that with the state assembly. Uh, Before the court convened, the city officials decided that they needed to make some changes, and they moved the market's butchers and placed chains across the street so the spare court... um, wouldn't have interruptions from the noise of the carts and the animals down below. Oh, my lands. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. <clears throat> but um, the, the uh, Supreme Court was supposed to meet that day. Yeah. But because only three justices were present, they had to postpone it because there was no quorum. So uh, John Blair arrived the next day. However, there were no cases on the docket. There was no pressing business. So the court adjourned, and the first uh, actual term ended February 10th with uh, just a few procedural matters, and um, they had to admit attorneys to uh, the federal bar because that hadn't been done yet, so they um, uh, admitted about 26 attorneys and counselors at that time. Wow. Um, there, you know, like, like we were talking about before, there's so many interesting backstories of these things that um, make it really interesting. That is um, interesting. They really did start with nothing. They had to appoint, even yeah. appoint the attorneys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was reading a while ago that uh, the first 120 universities in the United States were formed as um, universities that would uh, produce pastors and preachers and things like that, but they were also law schools. And many of these people uh, who went to law school were there at age 14, 15 is when they went to law school. Wow. So so John Jay um, was, what, about 20 when he was... Um, I think that's right, when he, when he was clerking, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and we think, okay, a 20-year-old clerking right now, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 20-year-olds uh, are not even out of school yet. I mean, yeah. Right, yeah. Different day. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, I think the the education system was so much different back then than it is now. Of course, there was, you know, they didn't have all the sciences and stuff like that that we do and the math courses. But still, they were learning things that would help them have common sense, um, live a daily life. Um, productively mm. uh, and maybe some of the things we're teaching in class right now um, have a different course 
um, a different focus than what these people learned back then. That has to be true. You know, my sister was um, registrar for several different colleges in her career, and she used to say the most infuriating thing to me. She would get angry with me because I expected my daughter's four-year degree to um, open the job market for her. And my sister would get angry with me because she would say, no, college is not to prepare you for work. It's to teach you about life and expand your horizons. It's up to you to be able to get a job. And, and we went head to head over this for many years before um, um, she, she went on to glory ahead of me. But it hasn't been that long ago. And I mean, just in the last two or three years, we've had this conversation about, no, college is not supposed to get you ready for a job. It's supposed to, maybe in the ethereal sense, in the... Um, not in the practical sense. So it, the focus, I would say, has seriously changed in 200 years. The, just a totally different focus. Yeah. But anyway, that, that's... Well, sometime, Anne, we'll have to talk about um, the early education system. Uh, Dr. Benjamin Rush was the one who uh, worked in Washington, D.C. to um, set up education. And one of the things that he... Uh, taught both men, boys and girls, was the ability to negotiate. You know, that came in handy because he was an early, pardon me, that came in handy because he was an early abolitionist as well. So knowing the power of negotiation was huge. And I think we need more people who have probably lost that skill or definitely yeah. can't and spell it. it. So yeah. it, that's something it we need to look back to. And it was interesting that both boys and girls were to learn that skill. You're right. That's yeah. very avant-garde. So go Benjamin Rush. We'll have to talk about him one day. But yeah, yeah good. I like that. Thank you. This has been an interesting little um, trail today, discovering about the Supreme Court. And it, it just... The thoughts of them having to ride a circuit is almost incomprehensible to me. But it, it, it's how it was 250, 250, 300 years ago. Not quite 300, yeah. but it was before the before 70, 1776. Um, well, can I give you a little quote before we leave? Yeah. Um, by John Jay when he was Supreme Court Justice. In one of the cases, he said, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers, unquote. And that was John Jay? That was John Jay. Wow. While he was Supreme Court Justice. Wow. Okie dokie. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to, to what we uncover next time. <laughs> It'll be wonderful. <laughs> All right. Talk soon, Danielle. Thanks, Ian. Good to talk with you, too. All right. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at carolinachroniclespodcast at gmail.com. 
one of the reasons why we do this is because we had questions that nobody else seemed to be able to answer. So that's what we want to do. We want to fill that informational void. So let us hear from you, all right? All right, until next time.